This morning, it comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 18. Hear God's word this morning. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. This is the word of God. Now, one of my favorite movies of all time is Forrest Gump. It's a story about one man's journey, and it's filled with these crazy life experiences of both hardship and joy, and essentially how Forrest will endure through all of it. So what do all his peers throughout the film tell him? What do they yell to Forrest? They yell, run, Forrest, run. So throughout this movie, what do we see Forrest doing? We see him running. It's one of the themes throughout this movie. So in the beginning, we see Forrest overcome his uh, spine condition by running. Then we continue to see throughout the film him running towards his beloved Jenny. And then we even see Forrest run across America as he tries to deal and cope with loss. Right? There's this theme of running throughout life, knowing that life will be difficult now, one of my favorite scenes is actually a really small scene. And it's in this one particular scene, it's where his beloved, Jenny, he gives Forrest a pair of, of running shoes. Jenny gives him this gift. And this gift is not just a gift. It's, it's a representation. It's a representation uh, to Forrest knowing that, yes, life will be like a marathon. So Forrest Make sure you have the proper footwear so that you may always be ready. And so it is with our daily grind, for our lives are just filled with nonstop running. You and I, were either running away from the things that scare us the most, or we are always running towards the things that we worry that we'll never, ever obtain. And just as Jenny provided Forrest a fresh pair of Nike Cortez running sneakers, our most gracious God, he gives us the armor of God. And today specifically, he gives us the proper footwear to go through our spiritual battles. As we look into today's passage, Paul reminds us that in this life, in this spiritual battleground for your soul, you and I, we need the proper footwear against the devil's schemes. And Paul specifically calls it the feet fitted with readiness. I have three points for us this morning as we navigate through this passage. First, what is it? Secondly, Why do we need it? And finally, how do we apply it? Let's dive into our first point. What is 
it. What is Paul uh, referring to when he talks about the feet fitted with readiness? Verse 15, the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, whenever we see a soldier, right, let it be in our history books or our movies, right, there are always certain armor pieces that's going to stand out, right? What are we going to see? We're going to see the shield. We're going to see the sword. We're going to see a helmet. But one of the most important pieces but most often overlooked is a soldier's footwear. But if you think about it, it's equally as important as every piece of armor that a soldier has to equip for himself. See, during Paul's time, uh, Roman soldiers, they wore caliga, which was a half boot. It was a heavy-duty half boot and had these really thick soles. Now, why is this important? Because a typical soldier, as he approaches the battlefield, it would often be a journey. Many say that it would be multiple miles to advance to the battlefront. Right? So what these boots did is it did two things. Number one, this ideal uh, marching boot, it was an adjustable boot, meaning it was versatile. It had some maneuvering that you can use with this boot. Secondly, because of these uh, hobnailed soles in this boot, armies, uh, they would use this boot as an, an intimidation tactic from the loud sounds, letting their enemies know that they are actually arriving. So in other words, these boots, they had to have been strong enough and sturdy enough for the long march. So when Paul, he alludes that you and I, we need the proper footwear in our spiritual battles, he is telling the believer that this metaphoric footwear in our spiritual battle, it must be thunderous to intimidate your enemy, and secondly, it will be strong enough for endurance's sake. Now, the language of uh, verse 15, it actually leads to Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. It says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who brings good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Sion, your God reigns. So Isaiah 52 is giving us a picture of a prophet who is proclaiming peace to all of Jerusalem, and it directly correlates to the feet of those who bring good news and for those who proclaim it. And here, as the Apostle Paul is alluding to Isaiah 52, he says that these boots in warfare that are to be worn is specifically what in verse 15? The gospel of peace. Now, the question is, what is the gospel of peace? Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. And when you were dead in trespasses and the circumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of death with his obligations that was against us and opposed to us. And he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly, essentially declaring that the gospel is good, good news. That it is good, good news that although sin has entered into this world and it has entered into every man, woman, and child, and it did leave us for dead with no hope, 
God would be gracious, and in this wave of grace, he would send his son, Jesus. And as he sent his son, Jesus, he became flesh. He became a servant to us, and he lived the life that we could never live, and he died the death we could never, ever die. But on this cross and the death and resurrection on the cross, Jesus, he atoned for our sins. So you and I, we are now saved by grace, and in this wave of grace, he most certainly will carry us home. It's good news. Think about those scenarios when someone is giving a second chance after a a life-threatening circumstance. Whenever you hear the good news that you find out they're actually healed from something, what happens? There immediately becomes a sense of peace. And if they had a right mind or a decent thought in response to that new life that second chance life changes that when you receive good news it changes life changes because of good news and if the gospel is good news so it is for you and i if you are a believer in this room right now that there is good news that you are given a second chance in Jesus, and it allows you to respond in peace. Peace because in God's personal plan for you, a personal plan for you, he has control. And then every little detail of your life, it is planned and it is in his sovereignty. So the Apostle Paul, he's reminding the believer that the gospel of peace is the only thing that is strong enough to allow you to walk on the longest road called life, but it's also light enough for you to navigate through the detours that you experience on a daily basis. Now, I know some of us in this room right now, you're not the most attracted to what I just said. And if this is you, I'm so glad that you are here right now. And I just want to ask you this one question. What gives you peace in your life? And the follow-up question I would ask is, does it promise you an everlasting peace like the promises of God? For our scripture says that it does. We need the gospel of peace. But why do we need it? This is our second point. In verse 15, there's a word that I want to highlight when we try to answer this question of why we need it. Look at verse 15. The word I want to highlight is readiness. Now, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, whenever you see this word readiness, it always has some connotation of something being prepared as a firm foundation. So the Apostle Paul in verse 15, he tells us to make sure that the believer is always ready to apply the readiness from the gospel of peace. I mean, just as you and I, we get ready for a job interview through mock interviews and an updated resume, just like you uh, parents are, they get ready for a a newborn, for God knows what, I don't know what y'all do, but praise God for parents. Whatever y'all do to get ready, we praise y'all. But whatever you need to get ready in your daily life, apply it. Just as we are to be ready in our life with the gospel of peace. What do we have to be ready for? Now, 
what I love about uh, the over, this overall section of Ephesians chapter 6, this armor of God uh, um, focus, what's important to highlight is that each piece of armor is connected to a specific virtue, right? So what do we see? We see the belt of truth, right? The breastplate of righteousness today, the feet fitted with peace. Now, so that battle where armor is needed, specific, a specific virtue, then often it means that there is a combat against a specific struggle. So the belt of truth is to stand against self-deception and lies. If you talk about the breastplate of righteousness, it's to defend against your own self-righteousness. So what the vice is that, that this peace is battling is fear and anxiety. That peace is to battle against your fear and anxiety. Our lives are filled with the troubling of our souls. And we are often bothered, and for some of us, it may be paralyzing because of the deepest rooted fears and the most stubborn of anxieties. I mean, can we be just a little honest right now? Aren't we all, in some ways, just fearful people? It could be something small as losing your keys. But I don't know about you, I go crazy when that happens. It may be three to five minutes, but oh my God, I need Jesus when I lose my keys. I get in the mode of fear and anxiety. Where is it? For some of us, our fear is how that person that's sitting right next to us, right now in this room, some of us, our biggest fears is thinking, what is this person thinking about me? For many of us, it could be stubborn as an attack where you're forgetting to breathe and you physically feel it in your chest because of the fear and the anxiety that is overwhelming you. For some of us, it may be paralyzing. It may be paralyzing to your entire life to the point where you are just living miserably. Am I speaking to anyone right now? See, fear and anxiety is a reality for you and I. And what I love about Scripture is that Scripture also talks about fear and anxiety. In fact, when you think about God's commands, what do you think about? Right? Do not murder. Do not covet. Love your neighbors. But in Scripture, the, the most highlighted and most stated command is what? Be not afraid. Why is that the command? Out of all the commands that we read in Sunday school with the Ten Commandments and love the Lord your God with all your heart and do likewise to your people, but out of all of that, the one command is be not afraid. And I think it tells us the reality of our hearts, of our souls, our daily lives, is that everyone in this room, you and I, we deal with battles that amount to fear and anxiety. And if I could just say this in terms of fear and anxiety, Right? What is it? It's an inner response to often an outside circumstance. And what it does is that it makes us feel like something is wrong with us. It makes us feel like we're alone. And in light of this fear and anxiety, we think that God is silent and that he is not present in your life. But I just want to let y'all know 
that you are not alone. And God does speak. If you look at Psalms, it's all about a God that speaks to our fears and anxiety. Psalm 27, verse 1 and 2. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 56, verse 3 and 4. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust and am not afraid. Scripture speaks about fears. And my question for us this morning is, what are your biggest fears? What is your most stubborn anxiety? God speaks. Now, here's the thing about fear and anxiety. Many will argue that, that, that fear is based about circumstance. But, but I would argue that uh, when you talk about fear, it's actually based more on your heart. See, when fear paralyzes you, it's more about what's inside of you rather than the circumstances that are surrounding you, right? See, the gospel of peace is both descriptive and prescriptive, right? We talked about the descriptive part of the gospel of peace, right? It describes that God is for you and that he is not against you and you are not alone. And that's truth right? That you are not alone in your feelings, right? In your anxiety, in your feelings, and, you know, when you're going through worry, oh, best believe we have a God that is Emmanuel. He is for us, and he is not against us. He's with you, and the gospel describes that reality that you do have a living Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. But what I love about this gospel of peace is also prescriptive, and that when you are confronted with this gospel of peace, it should actually challenge you and, and ask yourself, well, what is your true source of peace? Uh, Christian author Paul Tripp says it this way, as a result of sin, no longer do we attach our inner peace to a God who is the definition of wisdom, power, and love, and who will never, ever change. No, without realizing what we have done, we began to look for identity, meaning identity and purpose. We looked to the broken and ever-changing situations and relationships of this fallen world for our purpose and our inner rest. Where do you find your ultimate peace? Is it in the gospel? Is it in Jesus? Or is it in something else? See, your job is important. But it can be the source of your identity. Because what happens when your job is your source of identity, when you try to find comfort and peace for it, what happens? Well, things get shaky. Maybe you're, you might lose your job. Maybe you're not uh, living up to expectations, right? So in the source of peace, you're actually working more for it. And now there's more anxiety. Think about that relationship that you desire, the one that you desire the most right? You put that as your source of peace, right? These can be good things, but not ultimate things. But let's say it's your source of peace. You try to go for it. You keep on going for it. And then what happens? The relationship gets a little rocky. And now all of a sudden, there's no more peace. Now it's anxiety because you are afraid that you might lose something. You see what's happening? When you place your everything, when you put all of your eggs in this basket, you're actually more likely to be in anxiety and fear of actually losing it. 
It becomes an endless cycle of worry, anxiety, and fear. And now you're just overworking. Now you're just enslaved to it. What you thought was going to be rest is now just fear. Consider this. You ever think about how fear and anxiety not only impacts you, but actually impacts the person that's sitting right next to you, right? Um, I know for me, I'm not going to lie. If you guys don't know me, uh, I like to move around a lot. Um, I'm a mover, right? I, I don't like sitting still. Uh, I like to move around a lot. And, you know, part of it is because of, you know, I'm a very fearful and anxious person. Now, when I start moving, don't be like, oh, he's fearful. That's not the point, right? But when I am, if I'm sitting, what happens, right? What you, I often do, and people hate, it's like a, people hate when I do this, but if you're sitting next to me, um, what happens is um, I'm always tapping my foot, like nonstop, right? I'm always tapping my foot. Now, uh, if you're not gracious, you move away from me, but I'm still pray for y'all. But, but, um, um, but what happens, right? Most of the time, if I'm just tapping my foot, what happens? Right? The person next to me, they start tapping their foot too, right? My fear, my, my, my little built-up anxiety, my overwork actually kind of leads to the person that's sitting right next to me right? See what happens and everything that we do in light of our fear and anxiety, not only does it impact us, but it actually impacts the person that is sitting next to you. Fear is often based on the things that surround you rather than resting in Christ Jesus who was for you. And my question is this, would you consider having an everlasting peace that no one can take away from you? And I don't know about you, but I know I need it in my life. So we know what it is. We know, now we know why we need it. To our third point, how do we apply it? What does it look like for us today? Verse 15, it tells us that the gospel of peace, there's a third word in that sentence. It says that it must be fitted. Listen, you can wear the right shoes at the right event. But if it is not fitted properly, your day or your night is ruined, right? Think about that. You can wear the most flyest sneakers at the coolest event. You could wear the nicest pair of stilettos at a wedding night. But if it's not fitted properly, it's a night or day that is ruined. You can look good, but you're just worried about you can't even walk properly. You can look good, but internally you're being bothered. This is simple, and you can't even walk properly. See, the gospel, it must be fitted. And I'm going to say this, that if we talk about the gospel of peace, but it is not fitted properly in your walk, then the question I would ask is, do you know the gospel at all? If you have a pair of shoes, a nice pair of shoes, but you don't know the size, then it means nothing. You could put on a well-polished, uh, well-known understanding of the gospel, but if you don't know the size of your sin, then it means nothing. The gospel is good news, but the Apostle Paul also tells us that it must be fitted, meaning it must be applied, meaning that there are actually implications on how you are to live today. So how do we apply the gospel of peace. How does it become fitted for you? Well, first, look at the person. 
of Jesus Christ. Look at the peace of Christ, the life of Jesus, that he circumstantially had a life nothing to do with peace. Consider his long walk towards the cross. There is nothing peaceful about that. But in this pathway that should have given Jesus the most anxiety, it should have given him the most worry and the most amount of fear, Jesus would remain in peace, and he obeyed to his purpose on earth. But what happens on the cross? That in the darkest of circumstances, knowing that he would be one without the Father in this moment, he was able to live according to peace, for he is peace but he would lose that peace on the cross. He lost all of it, that he has no, uh, no communion with the Father, and it's for our peace. He gave it all up. He lived, he experienced chaos on the cross so that you and I can now live a life accordingly to the peace that he has called us to. See, the cross tells us that sin is conquered, that death has been defeated. So there is no worldly desire, there is no earthly possession that can take you away from the peace that God has called you to. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Humble yourselves. Peter is saying, be reminded of a bigger picture, that this gospel is much bigger than your actual life. And don't let that break you. Don't let that upset you. Let that comfort you. Humble yourself. God is much bigger than your fear. God is much bigger than your anxiety. He is bigger than your fears and your doubts because he's with you in them. God is bigger than all of it, and his timing is perfect. So how does this apply practically? Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says this. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How do we practically apply this gospel of peace? Well, Apostle Paul says it is simply just to be prayerful. Be prayerful. I wish I could give you this really cool counseling methodology of how to you know, help you calm your fears and anxieties, but Scripture says it, and Scripture speaks for itself. And he simply says to pray through your fear and anxiety that when you are in deep worry, you can present it to the Lord, that regardless of the darkest of circumstances, your dependency on Jesus, what it does is it reorients this anxiety, and it kind of shifts it to this overwhelming peace because you're remembering the humility that God has caused you to. And in light of that humility, you are recognizing his sovereignty. And in his sovereignty, you know that he is for you and not against you. Gospel-centered peace, it has everything to do with an everlasting foundation in Jesus rather than the changing or the removal of your circumstance. Your circumstances will always be there. Some things may never change, 
And it may be, it may be a stubborn anxiety, and it may last for a long time. So what are you going to do? You're going to keep in the cycle of fear and anxiety? Or are you willing to submit yourself to be humble to the God who is for you? Welch says it this way. He's a well-known counselor and pastor in the Philadelphia area. He says this, Defeating worry is not about hoping that tomorrow will be better. No, defeating worry is all about being a good soldier in the deeper war for the heart. It's about fighting the temptation to attach the peace of your heart to things that by their very nature are temporary and therefore are not organically designed to give you lasting peace. One of my uh, favorite hymns um, that I've really just grown to love over the years is uh, It Is Well With My Soul. One of the reasons why I love this song is actually the background uh, on how the song was created. It is well with my soul. It was written by a, a man named Horatio Spafford. Now, what do we know? Spafford, he was a very successful man. He was a prominent lawyer. He had a, a lot of investment into real estate. But what happens is 1871, he would begin this season of suffering. And in this beginning of suffering, what we would see is that his investments into this real estate, it crashed because of the, the, the great Chicago fire of 1871. Not too much longer than that, his son died because of a severe illness, right? Season. And you think, it's the begin you think it's the end, but it's actually just the beginning. See, what happens is uh, uh, Horatio Spafford, he, he wanted to kind of, you know, get his family, right? The rest of his family, he had a wife and four daughters, and he says, you know what? Uh, it's, it's a lot going on right now. A lot's been happening in our lives, so let's go take a rest. So what he does is he plans this trip for his family in uh, 1873. So as he was planning this trip, what happens is he actually had to stay for work, so he sends out his family on this Euro trip. But on this day, the ship that his family was on was struck by an English vessel. Several days later, his wife, Mrs. Spafford, cabled her husband, saved alone. So for Spafford, he leaves immediately to join his wife, mourning the loss of his four daughters. But many say that it was in this process that the hymn was crafted as he was approaching the ocean, as he was approaching this reality that it is well with his soul. That as Spafford, as he uh, went through the greatest amount of suffering and loss, because in the Jesus that he declares and all the praise for him, he said that it was for his good and for God's glory. And in light of that, I will proclaim it is well with my soul. Would you consider that a life filled with no hope in your fear and anxiety is a miserable one? 
would you consider accepting the gospel of peace to be your blessed assurance that no circumstance or person can take away? And that is my hope for us this morning. That despite and through the most horrific amount of circumstances, that you would declare in Jesus' name, it is well, it is well with my soul.